Welcome to Learning with Lim, a business podcast not just about the financial industry, but what's happening at Philip Capital around the world, along with many interesting stories of lessons learned along the way. I'm Lynette Lim, and I'm the co-CEO of Philip Capital in Chicago, but I also go by daughter to our founder, wife, mother, big sister, friend, and also fellow student. Thank you for listening in today. Hi, good morning. Welcome to the podcast again for Learning with Lim. Today, I have here Maureen Downs, who is currently our advisor. We're very honored to have to Philip Capital in Chicago. So you had a lot of success, various success in your career. You currently now sit on the NFA board as vice chair, and you're also in the FIA technology board committee. You spent almost 20 years at RCG in your last post as president of RCG, and you have both a CPA and a law degree. You're also a wife and a mom to two adult daughters. So how do you manage all this juggling act? Well, I'd say some days better than others. Okay. All women who have a career and a family, there, there's always a balancing act to play. And you always feel some level of guilt that you're not spending enough time with your family or you're not spending enough time with your husband mm-hmm. or you're not spending enough time on your career. And it's unfortunate that we women, as women do that. There should be no guilt. We do the best we can. We give it our all. And we know that there are some things in our life that will, that will suffer. In my, in my case, I will say that I never had the time to develop any hobbies. Yeah. At this point in my life, I would like to say I have hobbies, but I actually had no time to develop hobbies. You probably don't spend enough time with your friends as, as you, as you should because mm-hmm. you have your family and, and your husband and your career. So there are some things, sacrifices you have to make, mm-hmm. things that you have to balance. Hmm. So, what other hobbies are you thinking about now that you might want to cultivate? <laughs> well, I do love to travel. Okay. Uh, um, okay. And I, I have always loved to travel, and, and I intend to travel more. From a creative side, I've really never had be, be able to explore the arts, music, mm-hmm. art, and I would like to spend more time doing that. I'd like to spend some more time on some athletic active, at endeavors, which I've really never had time to do. So I, I really want to uh, focus a little bit more on, on those types of things because I think they make us more whole as a woman. Yeah, okay. So for yourself, when you started, like, even, you know, when you finished your degrees and all that, like, when was it a turning point or something that you decided, okay, I'm going to be a career woman, you know, I'm not going to be the sit-at-home housewife or you know when was there a point like that you remember like okay this is it or was it just when opportunities come and what you did with it like you know when I was in high school the thing that I was felt that I was good at was academics I wasn't good at sports and I I wasn't particularly social person but I was good at school Mm -hmm. so I thought well okay this is something I'm good at. Then I was fortunate to go to an extraordinary university in the University of Notre Dame. And I, I did quite well. And as I was at the university, I, I thought a lot about my mom. My mom went to college. She was valedictorian of her college class. What did but she what, study? She studied English. Okay. And when she graduated, there just were not a lot of opportunities for mm-hmm. women in mm-hmm. business. She would have loved to been a businesswoman. She was very, very smart. But there weren't great opportunities, and she became a, an executive assistant, which 
at the time, and she worked in banking. It was actually a really a wonderful job. But there, there, there weren't those opportunities. And certainly once she got married and had children, there really, there really just that, weren't that many opportunities for a woman to be able to have four children and to work. Mm-hmm. So I thought about my mom, and, and she was always very encouraging about me having a career. And, and at the same time, she was also concerned about whether I would be able to balance mm-hmm. a career and a mm-hmm. family. So it, for me, there was never a point where I, I didn't, I just always assumed I would have a career mm-hmm. uh, because I was a good student. I never thought that there wouldn't be a time that I would, wouldn't have a career. But like what led you to the futures industry? What, mm-hmm. what brought you there was it again a deliberate thing or was it opportunity that happened well i have a long legacy in the futures industry i am third generation my grandfather oh. was a member of a poor immigrant irish family here in chicago his father died and he became a runner on the chicago board of trade so while other boys were in high school and enjoying high school, he was the breadwinner for his mother and his eight sisters. Wow. So he did quite well, and he became a member. My father followed him into the business, and then my brother followed him into the business. So I have a very long legacy okay. uh, in this industry. And growing up, did you, like, while your mother was encouraging you to pursue a career how was the attitude like for your dad? I'm curious because I'm wondering, you know, in my own family, in the Asian context, what it's like versus what it's like in the Western culture. Well, you know, my dad was always very proud of my academic success. I will say that. He okay. was always extraordinarily proud of everything I achieved academically. So when I, I went to Notre Dame and I majored in business, mm-hmm. and that was my choice, he knew uh-huh. that that was going to lead me to a business career. And, and he was quite proud of that. And, okay. and, and certainly as, you know, more of an old-fashioned gentleman, you know, he certainly was hoping that someday maybe I would give up a career and be a full-time mom. He probably figured out before too long that wasn't going to happen. But he was <laughs> always he was always very supportive, always very proud of, of my achievements. Okay, okay. And so... Like you said, um, so when you got married and then you had kids, were, were you ever had that difficult choice that you had to make? Like, oh, you know, financially I'm doing okay, but maybe I should spend more time with the kids. Like, or it was never crossed your mind or did, did people pressure you to have to do that? It, you know, it was every day. It was every day oh, wow. where I wondered, you know, am I doing the right thing? I, I have two daughters and, and they're grown now. And, you know, some days I still think, well, gosh, maybe I wasn't as good as a mom as those moms that stayed home. Mm-hmm. I still have those insecurities. I think a lot of career women have those insecurities. And, you know, but you'd ask my daughters and, and what, the, you know, the notes they write to me, the letters they write mm-hmm. to me, what they say to me on Mother's Day is absolutely contrary to my own view of maybe I wasn't good enough. They know I balanced. They know I had to juggle lots of things. And they're both they're both career women, and they know that they will face those same kinds of difficulties, those same challenges. So, yeah, you know, every once in a while, you know, I, I have those those moments where I think, gosh, maybe I should have done it differently. But, you know, what? you ask my daughters, and I think they would tell you that I 
you know, that they're proud yeah. of the way. You so know, they so were I'm wondering, yeah, where, where does that guilt come from? Because I have that guilt too. And like, I'm wondering who gives me that guilt, but I, I have that guilt too. Um, and I feel sometimes it's imposed by my own friends because they're not working and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And then, you know, so I, I'm just wondering what, what, you know, what do you think causes that, that, that little voice in the head, right? You know, I think it's the same voice that, that, tells us that maybe we're not good enough in our professions. Hmm. You know, it's that same voice. And, and we as women, one of, the, one of our biggest barriers to success is our own questioning of what we are doing and how we are doing it. And, you know, it's waking up in the middle of the night and wondering if you're a good mom or waking up in the middle of the night worrying, you know, about whether you're doing things right at work whether you're taking the right path. And sometimes we as women are our own enemies. I don't know where that stems from, but you know, you can ask most women and they will say, they go over and over their, again in their minds, all their shortcomings, mm-hmm, all the things mm-hmm. that they think they're not good enough at, instead of thinking about the things that they're really good at and trying to take those, those strengths and leverage them. So it's the same voice. Uh-huh. It's the same voice that we hear, whether we're talking about being a good mom or talking about being a great professional. Uh-huh. 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 Throughout your career, did you rely on any kind of mentors on the way to, to help you? Or were there mentors that helped you where you were or, or kind of nudge you when you were kind of going in another direction? You know, when I first started in business, the, the, the concept of, of mentoring really wasn't there in mm-hmm. great detail. To the extent it was there, it was for men mentoring other men. So there weren't a lot of women role models ahead of me in my organizations. So I never had a mentor. And there were times when I would, you know, feel kind of bad about that and, and be a little jealous mm-hmm. of some of the men who had mentors who were really looking out for them and, and really helping them with their career. But at the end of the day, because I didn't have any mentors early on in my career, I had to figure it out for myself. I had to, to, to think about what's the next move in my career. I had to pick myself up mm-hmm. when I failed. I had to try and, and wheedle myself into my next promotion. So it actually made me tougher it made me stronger. It, it It's something that, you know, I know a lot of young women now want mentors, but they may want them for the wrong reason. They may want it so that it makes their career easier. Oh, like um, open doors. Open doors, right? Right. Uh, open doors for them, you know, uh, tell them what to do. Mm. Um, and in some senses, I'm glad I didn't have a mentor because I had to figure it out on my own. And honestly, as we get... As we progress in our careers and we get to senior levels, no one's going to tell you what to do. You better be able to figure out for yourself yeah. what to do. You, be, yeah. you have to be able to accept your own failures, figure out what to do when you've made mistakes. There's not going to be someone when you're a senior person who's going to, who's going to you know, protect you or take care of you or, or make things easier. So in some senses, I didn't have a mentor. I'm glad that I didn't. Okay. It reminds me, I, two days ago, I went to a talk um, by 
the agent, FBI agent, who's the most celebrated, like he's the most awards agent because he was the one who brought down the mafia family uh. and he had the name Donnie Brasco as mm-hmm. his name. And he was saying how the same thing is that when you're really on the field, you're undercover, you really, really get to know yourself because there's no FBI agent there trying to help you out if you're really going to die. You, that's it. You have to know yourself and you have to look after for yourself. And in a way, that builds that confidence um, for yourself. And then, like you said, can you give us any kind of tips or like like that juggling, right? You said that, that yes, there were regrets or something, but how did you day-to-day kind of juggle? Like, what do you do first? What do you do that first? You know, like kids uh, work, you know, this, like it, there's all these pockets. Like how, how did you do it? What was the guiding principle maybe? You know, I am a, a, a consummate planner. So okay. my life is driven by to-do lists, uh, not only professionally, but personally. And so for every week there's going to be you know, I'm going into the week with a to-do list of I'm doing this and this and this at work. And by the way, I have to order a cake for the birthday party. And, <laughs> you know, I have to buy a present for grandma. And, you know, I have to order it. And what I find is because the to-do, to-do lists are so long always, you know, there's yeah. always things, yeah. right? So the way I, I rank order my to-do lists, both in terms of professionally and personally, is I have the things that I really don't want to do on the top and the ones, the things that are easy to do below it. Oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and I make myself every day take one thing from the top of the list that I don't want to do, and it has to be the first thing of the day. Can so, you give me an example of what was the, uh, like? <laughs> oh, you know, maybe there's a, it could be a personal conflict with a family member okay. that you have to that you have to sort through okay. and you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off something you know a, a difficult discussion you have to have with someone okay. and it keeps appearing on the to-do list week after week after week okay and so you say you know what i once i get rid of this off the list the, you know the list seems so much shorter so you know there's always those <laughs> things that just keep stay on the list so they never get done and they, what they do is they keep you from really moving forward on the other things that can get done. Yeah. So by doing the tough things, at least picking one tough thing off that list that you really don't want to do and do it first, then you feel the rest of the day seems so much easier because you got rid of that one horrible thing. So that actually everything personal and professional that there's one grand list, but even pro- professional as well as personally, even professionally, the thing that I don't want to do the most, the call I don't want to make, yeah, yeah. is the first thing I force myself to do in the morning. Because that, that usually, and it, it just hangs. If you don't do it, it hangs yeah, yeah, over yeah, you yeah. like a cloud. Once you've done it, you, then you start picking stuff off the lip, the rest yeah, of the list yeah, so easy. fast. The rest so easy. That, that, whether that's a, a success factor, I know it, it worked for me. That's a really good idea. I'm gonna top that idea because I'll I'll pick the easy ones first because I'm like, yay! Look, my list is much shorter now. But actually, that those stuff are still hanging on there. It's true. So yeah, we were, you were talking just now a little bit about the industry, and yeah, I'm now only also realizing like how male dominated this industry is, how macho it is. It comes from the floor, right? Like, how do you manage that? Like. Because now there's always this talk about, you know, the feminine side of us and the masculine side of us, not necessarily even, you know, within a male or female, but just that these properties are there. Mm-hmm. But 
what do you find yourself doing more yeah. or in what situation are you more do you find like you have to fake it to make it you know how, how does it work well you know I, I'll tell you I you know I I, I I never wanted to be defined by gender okay and when I first started my professional career you know I was referred to as a woman accountant and then I was a woman lawyer and then I was a woman executive and I thought that was so strange because my male counterparts were never referred to as, oh, here's a man lawyer. Here's a man accountant. I mean, that just, that just seems so strange to me. Right. And I bristled at it then. I bristle at it now. And, and what I want to be defined as, as by my accomplishments, the tangible, measurable things that I do every day. Whether they're whether they are sensed to be, you know, male oriented or female oriented, and yeah, you know yeah. th- those definitions are 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 a little difficult. But you know, traditionally, right, yeah. female oriented kind of successes are thoughts thought to be people who you know bring people together, who, right. who problem solve, who resolve conflicts, right. um, the peacemaker, yeah, uh, and and, and male dominated characters are thought to be. Uh, ones where there's competition, yeah. where there's putting in, in a business context, putting money on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. The, the very the, the tougher aspects where you have to jostle people around mm-hmm. a little bit and mm-hmm. be tough. Mm-hmm. I think we as women sometimes put ourselves in in situations where there, we're more comfortable, which is sometimes where we are the peacemaker, where we are bringing people together, and we're good at that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are very good at that, but that never stretches you. That doesn't stretch you. What we as women have to do is not be afraid, not be afraid to go into those functions where it's tough and it's competitive and we might get tackled and we might get run over. Mm-hmm. And because those are, those are the ones that ultimately will lead for women to the, to the highest levels in their organization. You will be, you know, most organizations value people who put money on the bottom line. And that might be in sales, that might be in trading, that might be in product development, innovation. Yep. And a lot of women won't put themselves in those roles because it is competitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are men there. Mm-hmm. And they let their fear of that, their fear of the competition, keep them out. But if we want to succeed as women, we can't We can't just let ourselves stay in our comfort zone. We have to move yep. into those yep. areas that are really valued. And in business, let's talk about it. When you're in business, what matters is money on the bottom line. Yep. Growth of the business, money on the bottom line. Yeah. Doesn't I'm not meant to demean any other function, but if we only put ourselves in support functions and administrative functions, no one will ever look at you as the person who can lead the organization. Leaders, leaders lead the organization to growth, to profitability. So... So I, I don't know if that's responsive to your question, but that's kind of the way that, you know, I've tried to think about my career. Yeah, like not to have that woman kind of limit you or even define you in a, in a sense, no. right? Because, yeah, people kind of use that more, it's like a clutch or something to, to get somewhere. But let's, but like I say, in, in the very male-dominated industry, how do you manage to gain trust of so many? Like, even when I'm talking to people, you know, you have an extremely good reputation. Um, and in this industry, everyone's very open, <laughs> whatever they want to say. So they'll, you have extremely. So how do you 
actually like managed to build that trust, right? To be able to what um, being being a minority, right? Right. I'm a pretty good listener. I try to listen more than I talk because I find that that's how I learn. Okay. So what I found when I when I had opportunities to do business with with folks, I would go into meetings or go into social occasions thinking about what are the questions I want to ask this person? What do I want to learn about this person? Because if I want to do business with this person, I have to understand mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. what's important to them, what their values are. So always I would, I would try and, and learn and listen. And then think about whether, after I've listened, think about whether there's a way for us to do business together. So there are times when I would, would, would meet with someone and a prospective client, a prospective mm-hmm. customer, business mm-hmm. partner, and I listen and we talk. And I'd get to the end of the conversation and I'd realize that, I, that what I have to offer, what my firm has to offer, is not a fit for mm-hmm. this person. Mm-hmm. So I cannot tell you the number of times that I would say, honestly look at someone and say, look, I really enjoyed meeting you. I think you're great. I don't think we're the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would send business away. And I would honestly say, you know, let me tell you, one of my competitors who might be a good fit mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. and I would do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think people always found that strange, but I, I, it, was, it was honest. I was always very, very incredibly honest. I think people appreciate my honesty. I always do what I say. Okay. Um, I don't make hollow promises ever. I always think about what I say. I never, I never, never, never overpromise. I just don't do it. I underpromise a lot. I never overpromise. So if I tell someone I'm going to do something, I actually do it. I, I think I, I can't count. I could count on, on less than one hand the number of times that I felt like I didn't deliver what I said I would. And sometimes things are out of your control. So I think it's so important that people, your word is good, mm-hmm. you're honest. There's a lot of talkers in this world. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of handshakers and talkers who, who tell you all kinds of baloney. I'm just not very good at that handshake and stuff. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm probably not very good at, at cocktail parties where people walk around and shake hands and mm-hmm, tell people mm-hmm. all kinds of, of baloney. I'm not, I don't like it, and I'm not good at it. But what I am good at is sitting and listening and talking to someone and really thinking honestly how we could do business together or if we can't do business together, how I can help them. And I have helped people over time who I didn't do business with. There was no economic advantage for me to, to help them. But, you know, I, I, I do believe that what goes around comes around. Sometimes, yeah. you know, a kindness that you extend to someone somewhere down the line comes back to you. So. Yeah. yeah. So the industry, how do you see the industry kind of changing from what it was? And how, you know, what, what do you think is the future of the, the yeah. industry right now? Um, since you've seen a few cycles really, yeah. of up and down, right? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, trends that we have to to think about and we should be cognizant about. The first is, you know, we've seen consolidation in the FCMs. Uh-huh. I think certainly in the U.S., I certainly think that will continue. Why is that? FCMs need to have capital, increasing amounts of capital, access to capital, liquidity, it, capital is extraordinarily important. Customers look at it. They should look at it. They should care about it. It's important. Technology. 
Yeah. Technology is, a, is important. It is a way to differentiate yourself. It is also a way to be more efficient, to yeah. save costs. FCMs who are not committed to technology uh, are going to have a, a difficult time succeeding. And then global reach. As we look ahead, customers expect an FCM to have global reach. If they don't have a global reach, you know, they're simply treading water. Mm -hmm. So when we look at FCMs who don't have those three important pillars, they will either merge into someone larger Mm -hmm. or they will simply go away. It's just that's the nature of the global world we're going to be in. So that's one trend. Mm -hmm. Second trend is, is as we look at the exchanges, certainly here in the U.S., but also globally, exchanges are big and they will get bigger. Their footprint they have the resources, they certainly have the cash to extend themselves geographically, to extend their product offerings. And, you know, possibly, and, and we have to be thoughtful about this, whether they can reach down into some of the traditional functions of the FCM. Yes. So, obviously, as, as FCMs, we want to be thoughtful about that. But certainly, the big will get bigger. I think FCMs and exchanges will have to think about how we... How we Coexist because I've seen that we're both very important in this, in this ecosystem. How we coexist and make sure that there's an adequate return, both to the exchanges and to the FCMs. Mm-hmm. I mean, to for this mm-hmm. ecosystem mm-hmm. to be strong, there has to be a strong FCM community that is earning an adequate return on their capital, as well as a strong uh, exchange community. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, I would say, I think in terms of the regulatory cycle post two thousand eight. And it's been since 2008. We really went into a very lengthy, what I call new regulatory cycle mm-hmm. of Dodd Frank, and then of course the European, the EU. And you know, I think in the U.S. we're coming to the end of that regulatory cycle. The EU still has a few years mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news about that is, is that firms have spent so much money in the past 10 years on their on meeting new regulatory requirements, on technology for new regulatory requirements. Mm-hmm. Once we get through this regulatory cycle, all those resources that have really been been designed to build up staff, to build up technology, operations for regulatory, it will go back to innovation. So prior to 2008, we had 10, 15 years of real, real innovation in yeah. the business. I think we are looking at probably once we get into, you know, 2021, 2022, we can now, we'll now move back into the phase of innovation. And that's really important. It's that's exciting. The fun part. <laughs> it is. It's exciting. It's fun. We can spend more money on, on technology mm-hmm. that we need to. But there's only, all, all of us, all of stamps only have, there's only so much money to spend it. And sometimes it yeah. has to be focused on, on regulatory and, and a substantial portion it has been all these years. Yeah. So if you, as a new fresh graduate uh, woman who wants to come into the industry, but she doesn't even know where to start, right? Like, what do you recommend for her to do? Say she just finished a degree, where where would she even? Right. I would say uh, today, in terms of just the sheer learning about the business, Mm -hmm. the best place for a woman to start and it will be a hard place for a woman to start, mm-hmm. is on the trading side of the business. That's actually well, I, where I start. I start on the trading side of the business. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you learn all the products. You learn the markets. 
You learn how people make money and yep. how people lose money. You learn about risk management. You learn about cash flows. Mm-hmm. So you learn you learn about the business in a in a very fundamental way. A different point, a different part in time when people would come in the industry, they would get jobs on the trading floor. And you know, as as runners or clerks, and you would see the business from again a very uh, you know you were seeing here's an order, here's how yep. it gets executed, yep. you know here you know from a, a here's how it gets bookkeeped. So it, it you under you understood trading from that perspective. Floors really you know that that opportunity for for cler- you know clerical jobs on the floor is gone. So for me, I think you need to understand the business. From understanding trading, you un- by understanding trade, you understand so much about the business. Now, yeah. from there, doesn't mean you are going to be a trader or you want to be a trader, but you've learned so much, yeah. and you also learn about technology uh, today. So there's so much to learn there, and it's tough though because yeah, trading throat. firms it is cutthroat. Yep, it is tough, but but right, a different point in time, a trader on the trading floor, a successful trader is going to be probably. A big guy, big, loud, aggressive guy. Yeah, all right, yeah. very, very difficult for a woman on a trading floor. Some succeeded, not many. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, today, trading is it, it's intellectual. I mean, yep. it's about smarts. It's yep. about seeing patterns. It's about understanding patterns. It's quantitative, and you know what? Women are have great quantitative skills. They are great pattern recognizers. Yep. They really, you know, and they're very disciplined. So women may not think that they can be good traders. I think women can be great traders because it's in an in a electronic trading world, it's it's different than the old days on a trading floor where people jumping around. That Those days are gone. Yep. This, is, this has to do with, with smarts, hard work, dedication, thinking, a lot of intuition, right? Yeah, right. Huh. But, okay. but also understanding how to play defense. Also, mm-hmm. not letting it, you know your emotion or your ego get ahead of you. Sometimes trading. Some of the worst mistakes in trading are ego. And women tend not to have that ego part of them when it comes to a lot of the way they approach their jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of men will. A lot of men will have ego is a problem and. Ego can get you in a world of trouble when it comes to trading. Yep. So, so women generally don't have that ego issue. So, if if you take away the the mistakes you make by by over trading or by ego trading, women I think have a great opportunity. So, that's what I would say for a woman mm-hmm. is to find a way to work work themselves into you know through the trading side of the business and then come up. And, you know, once you're there, you understand the product, you understand the market. There's really no shortage of directions you can go from there. Yeah, true. So if now that you know what you know today, would you advise your two daughters differently as they were growing up? You mean how to be mothers and... and, mm-hmm. and Anything. You know, I, I, I really wouldn't have advised them differently. I have two daughters, one who is in a creative field and one who's in a quantitative field. I let them, they naturally gravitated toward those, those disciplines. Now, I didn't, I didn't push them or discourage or encourage them in any discipline. They naturally went there. Mm-hmm. And I let them naturally go there. You know, I, I particularly 
for someone in a creative field. Mm-hmm. You know, you worry about, you know, in a creative field, will you be able to find an opportunity where you can earn a living yeah. in, a, in a consistent way? Yes. Because it's, it's not it's not like being an accountant, right? <laughs> where, you know, if you're an accountant, a reasonably good accountant, you can always, you can always find a job. And yet, you know, I realized that I think it's best to let children gravitate to what they're, where, where they're good. And when you try and, and, and convince someone that, you know, I know, you know, I, I, I know you like uh, acting, but you should get an accounting degree also. That's never going to go well. So I never <laughs> did that. I, I let them, I, you know, I, le- I let them go in their own direction. I let them choose the colleges they mm-hmm. wanted mm-hmm. to go to. I I will say that both my daughters got accepted to the University of Notre Dame, and neither one of them, both of them broke my heart. Neither one of them went. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't have, have, have made them go, but they, they, they both went uh, in their own direction and, and are very happy that they did. And uh, so, whether that was in the long run, whether that's right or whether it's wrong, I don't know. But I have two very happy, very independent young women who have supported themselves from the day they left college. I have never, never have asked me for a dime. What more could a parent ask? Yeah. And have you seen that relationship? Have, has it changed? Like, how is it like now? I, I'm, I'm curious because my daughter is only eight, right? But like, how does that relationship change um, over the years? Yeah, it, it's interesting now. It is that we've gone from being, you know, mother daughter, and of course mm-hmm. I will always be the mother, to a, a, a different relationship where we we talk about not just you know things that are you know mother daughter related, but we'll you know we discuss issues of the world. We talk, you know what what's the what's happening with women, what's happening with politics. Mm-hmm. What's happening with a variety of uh, issues, geopolitical and and uh, social issues, and that's really grand. It's so lovely to have just a, a, a you know a, an intelligent, thoughtful discussion. That's not there's no there's no right or there's no wrong. It, it's it's like having discussion you would have with a, a dear friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's a it's a wonderful position I find myself in now, and I'm I will always be a mom, and and you know, a daughter will always have a bad day, and <laughs> and you know want to have a mom to tell her she's great, and that's you know I'm 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 you know I'm I'm still pretty good at that too, but it's nice to see to see that that change. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's lovely, and I I, I treasure it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I'm not sure I'm saying I look forward to that, but I, it would be interesting to to see that that change. But like while talking to you now and and over the past few months, um, I feel like you you have this um, gratefulness, you know, this um, deep down kind of gratefulness for your life of what you can contribute or what you are um, in a very self assured way. Like, where do you think that comes from? This this gratefulness, yeah. You know, and you're right. I feel like such a blessed person. I, you know, there are days when I wake up and I can't, I can't believe what, you know, that I have, you know, good health, a great husband, two wonderful daughters. You know, I, I, it's like a dream. I, I, I really, some days I, I just 
I get down on my knees and say, thank you, God. I can't believe it. I, you know, sometimes I feel like the luckiest person in the world. And, you know, I think I, um, I grew up, again, my, my, my mother grew up very poor. Mm-hmm. She was in the Dust Bowl in the 30s in the Depression. They literally lost the farm in terms of losing the farm. Mm-hmm. She lost her mother at a young age. Nine brothers and sisters, a couple, and there were a couple more who died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she grew up with nothing, mm-hmm. put herself through college. And, but never once, never once did I ever hear her complain about her childhood. Never once did I hear her say, oh my gosh, it was so horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we didn't have stuff to eat. I always had hand me down clothes. Never once, never once. In fact, she would talk about her, her wonderful childhood and her wonderful father and the fun they had on the farm. And, you know, much the same, my, again, my, on my father's side, they were immigrants and, you know, they came with nothing and, and they did well. And they had such gratitude for the opportunity that, that they had in life. Yeah. Uh, and they took great advantage of the opportunity. So, you know, I, honestly, I, I I feel, you know, maybe it's from them, you know, that their gratefulness, their joyfulness, their feeling that, you know, what, you know, they had a great life, mm-hmm. great families, healthy kids, the simple, the most important things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very grateful for and and perhaps... You know, uh, that's the way I grew up. That's the way I feel too. So, I am I am extraordinarily blessed every single day. Yeah, that, that's that's it, it's such a nice contrast, right? Because a lot of people you meet, you you just hear them. The first thing they open their mouth is complaining about something that happened, and usually it's a very small thing that happened. Oh, but yeah. It's like yeah. oh, nonstop. Um, yeah. um, but forgetting like, hey, that's a big picture. That this is a great life, right? Yeah. That we have a great life. We do. Um, and there's so much to be thankful for. True. Yeah. Yeah, thank, thanks for the time. I, 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 I'm definitely going to take up the note for doing the yucky things first on my list. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. It was a, a, a really enjoyable conversation. Thank okay. you so much. Do you have any last more things you want to say to maybe women or anyone you think in the industry that like one last piece of advice that you think it's important? I would say this is that one of the things that I, the way I run my life, the way I run my career, and it's something that somebody said to me early on, is do the hard thing. And, and never do the easy thing, do the hard thing. And whether that's picking the hard thing off your list mm-hmm. in the morning mm-hmm. or choosing a career path in your firm that's harder or making yourself do a project or getting involved in something where you think, I really don't know much here, you know, I, I might fail. Uh-huh. Do the hard thing. Don't be afraid to fail. Uh, you're going to fail. Fail's good. Failure is very good. It's a good, it's a good, good thing. Not every day. You don't want to fail every day. But, um, you know, find the thing that's hard, knowing that you might fail, and go ahead and do it. And then it feels so great. You are so proud of yourself. When you when you succeed, when you did that thing that you didn't you thought you couldn't do, and you you did it, mm-hmm. and it just it, it encourages it, boldens you to do the next thing. So always say to yourself, what's the hard thing? What's the thing I you know? What's the hardest thing I could do 
in my life and my career, go ahead and do it. Wow. And be surprised. And it, it just, it, it, it really gives you a whole new perspective. It makes you do the next thing that's even harder and that it builds on itself and then it builds your confidence. That's really a nice quote. I'm going to actually put it down. It's, it's a nice quote. Do the hard thing. Simple and easy to remember. Okay. Thank, thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you're you. welcome. Thank you for listening. Please leave a comment if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to discuss. I hope you enjoyed learning with Lim. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, there's always room for learning.